welcome back to the podcast, guys. So I've got two awesome guests for today. The first one is an awesome photographer, videographer. You might not know him by name, but you've definitely seen his work if you followed golf over the past, I don't know, few years. He's worked for some of the biggest publications in golf, has taken some amazing pictures of Tiger Woods, everybody you can possibly think of down at Augusta, for example. Christian Hafer, what's up, man? What's going on? How are you? Our second guest is from the uh, other side of the world called Los Angeles. Very uh, warm these days over there. Um, but yeah, he is the founder and CEO of a small up-and-coming brand called Metalwood Studio. Ladies and gentlemen, Cole Young. What's up, Cole? Hey, thanks for having me. Stoked to be here. So guys, I'm kind of thinking about this podcast like if we were, you know, playing a round of golf together. So we standing on the first tee box, we hit our shots. The first thing that would probably happen is that, you know, after those first few steps to our balls is that, so like, how'd you get into golf? Like how long you've been playing, which is kind of like, you know, a nice way to get to know each other before you spend three to four hours together. So Cole, how'd you get into the game? Yeah, I, I got into golf at a pretty early age. Uh, my grandparents got me into the game and originally it was more so just time to spend with them. Um, so that really like blossomed into me wanting to take it more seriously when I was a kid and take lessons and play junior golf tournaments and all that kind of stuff. But originally it was my grandparents who lived in North Carolina. We lived in California. Um, we would visit them like three, four times a year. And um, it wasn't until I got a little older that I realized like how special the time was that I was spending with them. But uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of just a pastime with, with them. I was, they, they admittedly were members at Pinehurst. So like, I was like really, really excited when I realized like how sick Pinehurst was to, to go and visit them. And, um, I think I, I like probably started out in like fourth or fifth grade, like bragging about going to Pinehurst and nobody got it. They were like, what are you talking about? Like, shut up. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, they got me into golf. Um, and for whatever reason, my parents don't play or didn't play. So I think that's why it was so special to me was like, it was kind of my thing that I had with my grandparents. And uh, I don't know, things got like serious in middle school and like ended up wanting to take it to the next level. And that's kind of what led me to where I'm at now. So you realized pretty early on that Pinehurst was Pinehurst. I'm playing a pretty awesome track. I'm going to be here all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I was, I was young. Um, but I was like also in the stands for like when Payne made the putt in 1999 and like my grandpa was one of the marshals on the 18th hole that like helped find his ball. So I think that's when I realized how magical of a place it was. And then, um, just like growing up playing that course as many times as I have and, um, I don't know, you get, you get like, I don't know, I don't know who talked about it, but maybe it was, uh, it honestly may have been you Christian that was like saying that there's like walking down the fairway, there's uh ghosts of like champions past or like, just like there's so much history. And um, I didn't say a, anything that eloquent. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, but there's, there's like a, um, I don't know. I don't I actually don't know when the, like the aha moment was, but it was, it was early on where I was like, damn, I'm doing something really special that most people get don't get to do. And I'm very lucky. So, um, yeah, Pinehurst has always been, and I've seen, we've all seen like, cause Pinehurst transformation over the last couple of years from like, or just kind of pushing golf forward. They've, they've done an amazing job of, um, keeping up with the times, uh, you know, seeing what it used to be and what it is now. It's, it's really, really cool to see. So I was down there it was when they were like redoing it and the day we were down there we were like walking with Gil and <laughs> he we did this piece for the golfers journal and he's telling us a story about well if you look behind the green on the hole you're talking about you see it's all black I came out and this guy came up with this technique where essentially he just throws napalm on it and burns off all the vegetation we don't white don't want and then we just plant all the stuff we want so the day I walk, walked there it looked like a war zone like somebody had dropped <laughs> napalm on this hole and i'm like what is going on here what kind of chaos is ensuing but now you look at it and i think the coolest part of that hole is how it's like framed in because you're all water right and you don't really have any like depth and then you have like this really sick framing and that's my little anecdote it looks it, that what they did there with the back makes the hole look really long but you can get there in two you have like 220 into the green like it it 
frames it very interestingly. Yeah. That's super fun. Yeah. What did you go what did you go to school for, by the way? I went to school for marketing. So Ooh. I was in the business school there. I went to school for marketing because I thought it was like advertising and I had no idea what marketing was. So I figured that out very quickly when I got there. <laughs> did you want to be the person that made the stuff or the person that like hired other people to make the stuff? Because for me, like working in advertising in New York City, obviously I've had lots of clients and normally the how it goes is that Clients come in, they ask for a bunch of stuff. We want you to make some awesome things. You make some things, they come back with annoying changes, you know, because clients are clients, and then you do that fun song and dance. Like, which side of the table did you want to be on? I think what I want, I mean, I, I kind of liked writing. I, who knows if I'm good at it or not, but, like, I uh, I would read, like, at, like, all the vintage Oakley and Nike ads, so I'm blanking on the agency that would do them, but, like, they were, you know, the the kind of tongue-in-cheek like 80s and 90s like madman agency type writing um i like that kind of stuff so it was like kind of had a sense of humor um but like was very cheeky um even like some of the like the old volkswagen ads that were like uh uh minivan picks up more chicks than a lamborghini kind of thing like i was into that stuff so that was actually a golden time in advertising where like the copy did so much of the work and people will actually sit down and like read an ad. Um, I want to yeah. say it was Wyden and Kennedy that did that campaign. That's, yeah, that's what it was. Wyden and Kennedy. Yeah. So Christian, man, what's your deal? How'd you get into golf? So I started, I, I mean, I played when I was younger, my dad was like a big golfer. And when I was a little kid, I was into the game and then it just wasn't cool. So I didn't really golf for, for a long, long time. Um, I lived with my mom and, you know, I was doing other things and I got into skateboarding and then, you know, slowly, but surely like my dad got cussing my brother and I, you know, when I was going into high school. And so, you know, you find the old clubs sitting in the garage and go out and break them at the driving range and then slowly kind of fall in love with the game. So I, I started really playing again when I was like 18 um, and I played for a few years and then I stopped and then I needed a job when I was living in Oregon at the time. So I'm out in Oregon and I'm like, I need a job. I'm a deadbeat. And what am I going to do? And so this like golf shop opened up and I said, yeah, I know how to build golf clubs. (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea what I was doing, but somehow got a job building golf clubs. And I was like, well, I should probably learn how to golf and like start playing again. So I started playing again. I would go up to like the local course and like play a little bit. And then I got a job at that course uh, in Oregon. Was like an assistant pro there for, I don't know, a couple of years running the cart kids. And, you know, and actually now I, a few of my my protégés in the cart barn have gone on to do amazing things in the world. And it's hilarious when they hit me up and they're like, hey, man, uh, I want to send you some shoes. And I'm like, sick. <laughs> it's paying dividends. <laughs> um yeah, no. So it's, it's kind of, it's, it, it was like a fun thing I did. I didn't ever take it really seriously. I was not going to be a, like a teaching pro. Um, and then I moved back East and I was supposed to go to work at a job. I had one lined up. It kind of fell through and I didn't really care enough. I was like, I don't really love golf that much. I was still playing it at that time, but I got a regular job kind of working nine to five. And this entire time I'm like doing my own kind of photography, but you know, I think as most people kind of can relate to that aspire to be a professional photographer, it's a very slow, long and like painful process. And it wasn't, it wasn't a process that I ever was like, I'm going to be a professional photographer. And I never said to myself, I'm going to be a professional golf photographer. That's for sure. Um, (laughs) And then so fast forward a few years, I'm like working a normal job and I'm playing more and more golf. Like I, I found that golf was kind of my outlet. And then as I moved away from the city, I'd moved to Philadelphia. And as I had moved away from the city and to where I live now, I really didn't have much to do, you know, hanging out with Amish people gets tiring after a little bit. <laughs> and like, you know, you can only throw up so many barns in a weekend. Um, so we, so we, we started golfing more. My my wife who I was dating at the time, she was like in the golf. And so we would kind of go and do that. And then just kind of like, I was at the time in Philly doing a lot of street photography and a lot of like kind of 
what I thought was, you know, artsy stuff. Um, and I really didn't have, so I like moved out of the city and I lost like the big thing that I was doing is I would go walk around Philly or drive up to New York and just walk around the city for a day. And that was how I'd spend my weekends and I was just working. And so when I wasn't doing my full-time job, I was going out and, and shooting and trying to create a body of work. And now I'm out in Amish country and I don't really have any interest in shooting like landscapes or whatever, like just didn't really intrigue me the same way. And so I started golfing more, which naturally the camera kind of followed suit. Um, and so one thing kind of led to another and as you know, <laughs> Instagram did its thing. That's how I kind of got more and more immersed in golf. And as I got deeper into it, like as I started meeting more people outside of like my small community here, and I started seeing how other people interacted with the game, that's where I really, really started kind of falling in love with it because I, it kind of opened the door to me to start looking at golf very, very differently and not, not being so hung up on, I mean, at one point I was rocking a, you know, a white belt and like, you know, <laughs> thought I was going to go tour and it was brutal. Uh, I've burned all those images, but, but if I look at where I was and where I am now and with the game of golf, it's like, I was, I was trying to, I was trying to play the part of a golfer when I, you know, like a lot of people do, they're like, oh, this is how you golf, right? Like, this is what you do. And I didn't really love it. That's why I kind of always felt in and out of golf. Like I worked in a little bit, it was money, didn't really like it kind of like parts of it, but it would just overwhelmingly kind of be like this, the suck factor would overwhelm the good and I drop out. And then, but I always kind of kept gravitating back towards golf. And then, you know, now it's like, now that I know what I know, I, I don't think I'll ever stop playing golf. I mean, or being interested in the game. Like even if something were to happen to me, I couldn't play golf. Like I'd still be fascinated by the game. I'd still want to go shoot landscapes and do all these things that I do now. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the, the quick, dirty story. So now that you've told the world that, you know, club repair used to be your thing, I want to unpack that a little bit more. So like, how far do your skills actually go? Are we talking about just your basic regripping? Are we reshafting clubs? Like, like, what are we talking about here? I'm up the road. I can send some things your way. Like what's on the menu? I can spine your shaft. I can, I, I'll get your swing swing weights will be dialed um if you want me to hot melt the head we'll get it lead tape chronicles that's my middle name i want to i want to have a, a feral turn off with you <laughs> oh yeah let's do it oh that oh used God. to be my favorite thing oh that was yeah so that's I, I got really into it like i've there's very few things that i get interested in but once i get interested in them i'm like full on and it it actually like club making was, I love it. And it was super fun. And I started kind of like teaching myself how to do it very quickly. So I could keep my job um, and making up a lot of bullshit as I went. But I mean, I had all these tools and I had to like figure out how to use them, which none of them are really hard to use. I mean, it's, it's pretty rudimentary. It's just like, you kind of have to just take your time. But yeah, man, I used to build clubs for the guys. That's how I got the job at the course is like one of the, one of the members at the course came down, had me build him a driver. He loved the driver. It was just an accident that I put the right shaft in it, I think. And then he told the pro about it and he was like, oh, you should go like hire this kid. And so that's how I got the job. <laughs> so guys, if you're listening, um, Christian can do it. He's pretty good. It's 250 a club. I can't, I'm, I can't guarantee that I'm going to touch the club, but the work will be done. That's on, that's honestly a steal. I feel like I, I mean, I don't have any, uh, I don't have any sort of workbench in my garage, but I, I like love building my own clubs, but I have to take it to like Roger Dunn and they are robbing you. Oh, I mean, I think it's totally a hustle. Like one of the things that I, I hate about club repair is that, you know, you need new grips, your ferrules are coming loose. You have to take them in. It takes, they say, oh, it's going to be like five days. Right. And for me living in New York, like five days is a long time. And then also just the overall pain of having to lug your clubs in on the train, like carrying them to the place. It's a lot of steps. Um, so last year I actually tried to regrip my clubs. I did the entire bag myself for the first time, putter all the way up to driver. The putter super stroke grip was a little tricky. I almost cut my hand off, but did a pretty good job. I would say that like 
my level of grading for myself would be, uh, give myself a B minus. Not great, but okay. And I also think that like, when you do it yourself, you are way more conscious and way more critical of your work because you're like, uh, is that perfect? But pr pretty good job. But I don't have a vice grip. Um, me in my kitchen, just with a rag, trying not to cut myself and, you know, have things everywhere, but, but doable. But I would rather do that than, you know, not have my clubs for a week. Just do what I do. After you, you just throw out the clubs and just get new ones. <laughs> so just throw them out. These are no I good. just look at people on the range. I make eye contact with them as I walk to the trash can and put them in the trash can. And I just make eye contact with them. <laughs> so Cole, I'd love to take a minute and talk a little bit about just the origin story of Metalwood. What was the moment of inception? You know, what inspired you to create this brand? I know some people out there might know about it, but I'd love to kind of hear it from you just from day one. Like, tell us about Metalwood. I mean, it starts pretty early on. I guess doing it professionally is a fairly new thing, but I have always been like really into gear. So that golf clubs, equipment, for a minute, I wanted to be like an engineer and like design golf clubs and do all that whole thing and um, have had like internships at TaylorMade and Fujikura as a kid. So like I was always around equipment and I, I like loved what like made them good, bad, more aerodynamic, blah, 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 blah. Um, and I think that having that mindset, like I wanted to own every golf club, but I just couldn't because I couldn't afford it. And um, there's also like this era of golf that I've fallen in love with of like kind of when technology started to take off. So mid 2000s, like anything pre like, I guess, um not glued hosel like if you could change the shaft out of it i kind of don't like it um so glued hosel all the way um but yeah so like now um or like at least when i was starting metalwood i, I had like a, a kind of a, a pop in ebay page for this era of golf clubs mainly because i would see this club in a used bin and i would buy it i would try it um, because I never got to as a kid, but the, the prices of these golf clubs are so cheap now, um, cause they're just so old and nobody wants them, um, that I could try it for a little bit. If I didn't like it, I would, I would sell it if I wanted to keep it, it like, wasn't a huge investment. So, um, I was like buying and selling and trading clubs on eBay and that got kind of popular. And then I don't know, I just like, I like wanted to get away from eBay and curate a store. So it, it originally like metalwood was like a, a curated use bin for all the clubs that like i really wanted to champion so um the tailor-made v-steels the old sonar techs the um like any forged blade that like i don't know there i got to a point where shooting a number and keeping score wasn't like my uh the reason for me going out to play golf and just like i wanted to go have fun and i think that like challenging yourself to create a, uh, an interesting bag to go play with um, was more exciting for me. So I was, you know, playing with a different set of clubs every single time and switching them out, tinkering and all that stuff. And um, yeah, I got to a point where I just like needed a logo. And then um, I had some friends tell me like, if you put that logo on a hat or a head cover, I would buy it. And that's kind of how it all got started. And now we're like, two and a half, almost three seasons in. I started it while I was at Malvin previously and um, it kind of just got busy enough to where I could do it full time. So I started doing it full time in April. Um, but yeah, we're two and a half, like almost three seasons into like doing full cut and sew collections and collaborations with XYZ um, under our belts and new ones coming up this next year. And uh, I don't know, I've, I've like, in past work experiences, like I've always been a, around apparel. Um, after I, I fell out of golf, out of love with golf, like the third time in my life, I, I got a job working at a um, high-end luxury fashion retailer called Forward, uh, which is like the sister site of Revolve, and uh, was just like engulfed in like the whole menswear kind of thing. So um, this was the marriage of the two, I suppose. There's something really interesting about, you know, different types of people that collect things. Like, for example, if you take, I don't know, baseball cards. Like, I don't collect baseball cards, but it's an interesting place to start. Where normally, 
you get a baseball card, or at least this is my way of thinking about collecting baseball cards. You get a baseball card. It's in great condition. You keep said baseball card. You put it in plastic and in a, some type of container, and it's all always about keeping this thing mint. And you might pull it out from time to time to show some friends or, you know, flex at a party, right? But then there's other things, uh, watches, cars, shoes, things like that, for example, where there's this notion of I have these things and I love them, but they also are part of my daily life and part of my daily rotation. For me, I, I appreciate that a little bit more because you still love the things just as much, but you're being a little less precious. Like one of the things that I can't stand is when people will collect – I don't know, four or five pairs of really, really rare Jordans and they sit in a box and they never wear them and, you know, they worry about the, the toe crease, things like that. Um, for me, it's like, just just wear the shoes. Like, you know, you bought them, like, enjoy the shoes. They have a time and, you know, when they're done, they're done. But just the, the idea of, of being so precious with things is is always, from, from a collector's perspective, something that I always found very interesting. I mean, I think like if you club collecting or for watches or cameras for me it's like the reason i get a watch is because like one i like the way it looks i like the reaction that i have to it i like the mechanical aspect of it it's fascinating to me what they can do inside of a watch you know and how complicated they can make the complication um but i want to wear it and you know i have a watch that i wear and i only ever if i'm shooting a cover if i'm shooting an editorial a landscape if i'm traveling i wear that watch because to me that watch is something that i'm going to have forever it's not an investment piece it's it's an appreciation thing just like cole's going out and buying clubs because he has an appreciation for it he's drawn to it it's something about that club the design of it the look of it the feel of it just you want to have it and you fare it away and maybe you hit it once every five years or it goes up in eBay because you just didn't like the feel of it. But like, there's something, I think for a lot of like creative people, there's, there's this thread of having to ferret things away. You know, you get your, your nut and you kind of put it over here and you get your stockpile of them. And it's like, it's because it makes you feel a certain way. And I mean, <clears throat> I do that with super hybrids, you know, Cole's, Cole's a big blade guy. I'm a big rescue wood guy. <laughs> Give me an Adam's peanut all day long. <laughs> uh, the chipper. I, I went on, I did actually go on like a, I wanted to do this thing where I took every infomercial club product that's ever been sold. I wanted every single one and I wanted to shoot them like in this very specific way. And then I started seeing all these different clubs <laughs> that in and of itself is a world because i've i've played golf with some of these guys that have them where they like pull out the chipper and you're like why do you have that and then you see them putt and you understand why they have it what, what would be your as seen on tv bag makeup oh hammer to start Obviously. and probably end the bag i mean i'm gonna putt with the hammer at this point <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah I, the hammer and then there's the new chipper with the green back which i really like it's like a green it almost looks like the nikent remember nikent colorway yeah remember that color and the infomercial is like some 80 year old person like dunking one from 100 yards like i gain i gain 20 yards <laughs> there's like a little they turn to the camera and it's like a little yeah like, <laughs> yeah you know what would actually be really interesting if you actually took those out and, and played around with them i mean you never know you could shoot the run of your life with that set you would, yeah, you, listen, your ego would be, you'd question your ego. Put your <laughs> ego aside. I play a full bag of hybrids and I'm not, I'm not sad. I'm, I, okay, yeah, cool blades, blade guy over here. Go play college golf. I didn't. <laughs> so yeah, I hit a, I hit a three hybrid off the tee. <laughs> I don't, I don't play blades because I, I can hit them. I can't. I just, you can't. Look cool. I, if anyone's has actually seen your golf swing, it's kind of, it's annoying at, so. <laughs> you know what i back back to the the collecting aspect of it i i like i look at people who live like really minimalistic lifestyles and like have the doug funny closet where their closet's like five black t-shirts and like five black pairs of jeans and like one pair of common projects like i do feel like that's admirable and i i sometimes i it's a constant battle in my head where like you just sell everything. You should just sell everything, get cavity backs, just throw in the towel, just be done. Like have <laughs> one driver and that's it. 
and that will be the real true test of like how you play golf and you can be done with this, all this bullshit. And like, I don't think there's anything like my head won't let me do that, but I do feel like there, there are people out there that, that wear like one Buck Mason t-shirt for the rest of their life. And then like have one set of irons that they play for years and years and years until the grooves like disappear. And I, I, I don't know. There's the, I guess there's something in the collector's head that like physically does not let you do that. Like imagine telling a, a Jordan collector, like you could literally just buy one pair of vans on a back to school sale and just wear that for a year and then get another one the next year. I mean, you can get them at full price and still have quite a savings. Yeah, so, exactly. I mean, yeah, I, I think it's, it goes back to it's it's not so much a material thing at least for me it's not it's like like i have to have this it's not that it's just i am there's something about either the camera or the watch or and i have a little bit of a a love for for like clubs and some putters and stuff like that but it's it's mostly like there's something about it there's it the way it looks the way it feels that i'm like "Ah, this is cool and i want I just want to be around it. Um, and I'm like, you know, I, I try and be as minimal as I can. I try not to have too much stuff. I mean, like I get packages and I send it back cause I, I'm never going to wear this. I don't want it. And it's just going to clog up here. Uh, be conscious about what I buy, but I mean, at the same time, but yeah, I'm going to buy two new watches next year. Like <laughs> I, I already, like I, I've been looking at them for six months and I've been like, slowly getting myself to the point where i'm like i need that so i'm just working my way into how i sell it to my wife you know of like well here's <laughs> why this one's different but that's the sickness in our brain is like your girlfriend sees 400 blades and she's like what's the difference between a vr pro and this title is let me talk to you about it and that's <laughs> i mean a watch thing. in the mail is very easy to hide i have like 48 inch long boxes showing up on the doorstep almost every day it's a weird flex <laughs> i'm saying if you're if you're like significant other is seeing it, it's like oh i bought like an an amazon basics like cubby with a bunch of like it's it's wire rack grid so it's like perfect slot for each club i'll send you a picture of it that's going to be my new contact photo for you. <laughs> Just a, a wire rack filled with clubs. <laughs> um, I had there's there's like I have a couple of golf bags. I think I have like four or five golf bags, and those are mostly filled up with like shafts that are ready to be built. Um, but most of the clubs fit on the rack. There's no space for the car, so I have to like I, I have to go fix that. <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to be paying. Our our parking parking ticket bill is going to be like five hundred bucks by the time we get back <laughs> from the holiday. I have a question for both you guys, and it's around this notion of of golf as a bridge. Um, I think for me, just coming into the golf, I don't want to call it industry, but space um, earlier on, I always got the vibe that there were these like islands, if you will, where okay, if if you rock with this this crew, you can hang with us. If this is your vibe, you can hang with us. If this, this is your vibe, you can hang with us. And no one never really kind of like, you know, intermingled. It was always kind of like find your island and stay there. But I think it's interesting, you know, Cole, for you ex- as an example, like the work and, and some of the things that you've done with Metalwood, where you've, you've found a way to, you know, be appealing to the younger audience. Like you don't take yourself too seriously. There's this really fun not to nostalgia which is really really hot right now but then also at the same time like the older audience um can find a way uh to be part of the brand like i saw that a really awesome picture that you posted the other day of fred couples wearing one of your uh newer sweatshirts where i was like that that's really cool because you know that person might say hey this style or this pattern was in where you know back in the 90s like that was a peak moment for me so this brand is a brand that i can be a part of and when i think of what i'm seeing in golf I don't really see a lot of brands that are doing that nowadays where, you know, they're able to appeal to the young and older audiences in a way that doesn't feel forced. Right. Like what, what are your thoughts on that? Was it intentional or did it just like, kind of like happen happy accident style? Um, I think the way that it positioned the brand was very un- unintentional. I, I think I, I, I did not expect to have as many like, 40 and above 
followers as I do now. But like the coolest comments I get on my Instagram is like, damn, I won like state am with those clubs back in 96. It's like, that's, <laughs> that's way sicker than like any kid saying like, yo, this is fire. Like, I mean, I, I'll, I'll take any engagement that I can get, but, um, but yeah, that, that kind of stuff really gets me hyped. I think, um, I think, uh, the, golf just being an old man sport like it's kind of fun to lean into that like yeah sure let the let the old guys eat cake and uh like getting the gear on fred couples like that's super special to me because he is like my muse like he's an icon living but uh i mean i would have i would have felt the same way had uh Calcavecchia or like Brad Faxon worn it. Like it, it's it's like any like old guard that is kind of saying, all right, this is something new. I can get behind it. And it's not gonna be like some it's not gonna be off-brand. It's not gonna be like this Ricky Fowler, I'm dressing orange now, midlife crisis thing, where like it's fine if Ricky wears it, but like think if Paul Goidos like walked out in a white belt and like all orange tomorrow is like, yeah, hello, fellow kids. And like the world would just explode. I don't know. I don't know. I think Paul could do it. That's just me though. I want Paul to have the balls to do it. He doesn't have to do it, but I want to know that he would thought about it. He could do it. And obviously that's, that's, that's part of the game for sure. Right. Exactly. Christian, I'd love to talk a little bit about just you with photography, at least for me, like seeing your work earlier on. Um, I hate the notion trend. Um, but I do think, and this is, this is my opinion, but I think you have brought a look and a perspective to golf that no one else has really shot before, which I've always found really interesting. Um, you know, the combination of the angles, the grading, the perspectives, it does a lot of interesting things. I think one, just showing people golf in a way that makes them feel like they're actually there, number one. And then number two, like, you know, just showing them the, the, the game in a way that just really feels fresh and different and not edgy, but just very contemporary. I've always found that interesting. And then when I also look at just some of the longer standing institutions in golf, you know, you're, you're shooting pictures at Augusta National, which I, I think that's really cool. Um, and then you're getting the admiration of, you know, that old guard, but then also on the other side of the coin, you know, you're, you're getting written up in, in, in hype beast about, you know, how you capture golf photography, um, which I think is cool. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's very like, just like with, with, with Metalwood, it's, it's not an easy thing, um, to be able to, pe- to appeal to a, a, such a wide audience. Like, like, what do you think about when you're shooting a project? Like, like what, what's your approach, uh, to, to taking those photos? Um, I, I think the what what worked for me was when I started realizing like my early work, especially in golf, was what I thought golf photography should be. So I saw everything and I'm like, oh, okay, that's that's what you do. And as photographers, I'm like, this is how you shoot that technically. This is, you know, what I need to do to do that. And I hated everything. I was like, this sucks. The colors suck, the compositions are boring. I've seen it before and I just wasn't I just kind of was bored with it and so you know because I didn't I wasn't beholden to anybody and I didn't have any rules and I knew technically how to take a good photograph and I technically knew how to take a golf photo and you know a lot of what I grew up on was street photographers um, you know conflict photography reportage and skating and snowboarding and it, it was not, like when I learned how to take photos i was shooting film and strobes at like 2 a.m on a handrail you know and no idea what i was doing and i kind of wanted that back again um because i had no reason not to just try stuff so i started shooting things as if i i were making the work that i was doing before i moved out to where i am now and i intentionally wanted everything to be a little bit darker a little bit you know moody um you know change angles i had kind of gotten you know if i looked at photography and it was like everything was kind of from the same perspective you know you weren't seeing a lot of the artwork that goes into the course design and you know that's one of the best compliments i've ever gotten was from um a, a couple guys but you know they came up to me and they 
they were like, you know, we appreciate the fact that you see things, you know, differently. You see the little things that we're putting into play. And, you know, I love taking a photo in a guy who has been on that golf course every day for the last year has no idea where I took that photo from. And because to me, it's like, yeah, of course I can go stand in the middle of fairway on a ladder and take a photo of, you know, the golf hole and like present it to you. But there's guys that do that and they do that well. And that's just not, it doesn't interest me at all. Um, and I think that's what people kind of gravitated towards is it, you know, maybe it was something different. So it, it stood out, but I think they, people got that it was like, it was, there was intent there. And I was trying to show golf in a different way. Um, so, so people could appreciate it more. And, and as I started doing it more and more, I became more and more, you know, kind of appreciative of the game of golf and, and all that goes into, you know, as I started shooting tournaments and, and pro golf and stuff like that, then it's like a whole nother world. Cause now I'm like, you know, you're documenting history and I want I want images that people are going to look back on and say, oh, that's the year Tiger one or that's the year so-and-so one. And I want like, I want photos that are going to be so different than what everyone else took that day. And so I'm intentionally trying to be different. And that's what every photographer is trying to do. Every artist is trying to do is like, they're trying to be different, but in their own way. Um, and I think that's, that's why I've had the success I've had is with the new and old guard, like you talked about, like, yeah, I wouldn't say that the old guard necessarily loves me. Um, they, I, I think some of them do. I think some of them are still trying to figure out what my intent intentions are, if that makes sense. Um, because it, different is always kind of concerning to some people. Um, and they're, they have an image to protect, you know, whether it's their golf course, their organization, whatever it may be, their player. Um, and so anything that's new, they kind of are a little, uh, do people like this? Is this what's cool? Like they're not necessarily informed of, of what's good. Um, but I think, you know, they come around and, and like anything, when it comes down to it, you know, artwork wise or creatively, it's like, I'm making the work that I want to make for me. It's I'm not making it for other people. And there was a period where I was doing that. I was making things for other people. And that's where I really think that I made a big mistake and and now I'm in a position where I'm back to where I was at the beginning, which was just making what I want to make solely for me. Um, and, and that's kind of the coolest thing because no one can tell me it sucks or it's good. It's just what I think. So if you say it sucks, it doesn't hurt my feelings. Cole. I don't, I don't think you've taken one bad shot ever. Oh, uh, trust me. I've, I've missed. <laughs> you've taken some pictures of me and I think that was a big mistake, but no, bro. <laughs> If, we'll talk about this later, but that video that I did a Cole was maybe one of the all-time best videos I've ever made. By the way, from the from the BMW. Yeah, I, I hope we get to eventually talk about that. But like when when I was in Baltimore with Christian at the BMW Championship, I think that one of the coolest things because I didn't really want to follow around. Like obviously, I wanted to see some players and see some friends of mine that were there, but uh, getting to watch. Christian do what he does is like, I mean, yeah, he made a point. Like I want to do it differently. I want to do it my way, but like he is on trees. He's like behind people, like people getting a shot, people like tussling with, you know, ropes trying to get to where he needs to be. And like, but he, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's like a little like fish in a net. He's just like, Oh my God, these yeah. ropes. But uh, no, I, I, you can tell he's like literally, he's just making stuff for him. And like the, the byproduct is like happy clients. But um, yeah, that he, he's so focused on getting the shot that he wants, which is awesome. People sometimes, especially now with clients and you know about this, Andrew, like they hire you for a reason. And it took me a long time to have the confidence to push back and be like, just like you hired me to do the thing that I do. So I'm going to tell you how I do that. And you're going to get the result that you want. You telling me how to do what I do is going to yield the result that you don't want. And then like a reshoot or 80 different, you know, emails about whatever it is or a bad taste in your mouth. And it's not to be rude. It's simply to say like, when, if I'm shooting a tournament and like, you know, BMW is a great example because they've been amazing to me to just say like, 
go do your thing. Like we need certain things, but like otherwise go do your thing because they know that that's going to yield the best results. And, and I can go out there and experiment and, you know, put people in the foreground or shoot around people. I mean, half the time I'm not even inside of ropes because I just don't think those are the most interesting photos. And again, my job is different than other photographers. Other guys need clean, tight shots. I don't, I, I need some of them and then I need whatever I want. Um, so it's, it's been good to be in that position where I, I, I feel like I can almost command the ability to just say like, trust me. And people do, people seem to trust me. Um, not at first <laughs> when they meet me, <laughs> they're very skittish at first. It takes time. It's a, you know, it's a two year process. So Cole, in, in regards to building up Metalwood, um, like obviously there are many pieces to, to building a, a full functioning business. Someone is designing clothing. Someone is doing the design. Someone is taking photography. Someone is managing social media. Like if you can tell us like how many hands are actually involved in, in, in Metalwood? Because for me, like when I experienced the brand, either through, you know, a couple of things that I bought through your social channels, through your website, there feels to be a, a, a very strong cohesive thread uh, throughout all the pieces where it, it, for me, it feels like it's coming from you and it's coming from one person. Um, so yeah, like what is that process and like, what, what is that structure like in terms of building out the brand? Yeah, I think uh, it's very much my thing. Like I do it my way. I work on it when I want to work on it. I design when I want to design. I, I have like, I, I don't know. I just like go through waves. Like I won't open Photoshop for a week, um, but then I'll like see something. I'm like, oh my God, I have to spend like 20 hours on this. So um, right now it is just me. And I think that that's obviously not scalable. <laughs> But um, that's kind of like what's important to me is like having my hand in every cookie jar and just knowing or like wanting it to be exactly how I want it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'll that'll change. I mean, I, I'm looking to hire people um, at the beginning of this year. I, I've like weighed the pros and cons of like getting an office and like doing this whole thing. And I, I really do see that if I were to do that, it would help grow the brand. Um, and that's ultimately what we all want. Um, I think there's another side of it where from the customer on the outside looking in, it like it's kind of sick to put up this like front where it's like it's very small. Like it's ve- like I'm kissing every hat as I pack it in a box and like shipping it away to people. It's like you knew it. Yeah, you knew it, right? It's like sm- it's like smells like my musk <laughs> see i think that's actually really cool like I, I i see and this is this is my opinion that there's there's a bit of a shift happening in golf now no one's going to say that the bigger players are are going anywhere i think they're always going to be around but there is something interesting happening where more and more people are starting to appreciate and be attracted to brands that are a little bit smaller have a slightly different attention to detail different perspective on on what they're making you know, the quality of, of those things that they're making, which I think is refreshing and interesting and actually brings some nice balance to the game. Like you can buy a club and it comes with a stock head cover, but you know, like I, I do this and I'm sure there's tons of other people that do this as well, where most golfers that I see and interact with and play with don't keep their stock head covers. Like everyone, you buy your club and then you replace it with a Seamus or some other cool, you know, head cover that you like, or your, your bag, you might buy your, your stock bag, um, you know, from your golf Smith or wherever. Um, but then also, you know, you can, you can get a McKenzie. I have two of them. Um, and it's not just necessarily about buying a different brand. There's these smaller brands bring this sense to the game where, you know, there's a little bit more of an attention to detail. There's more of this human element, which I find interesting. From my perspective, I think a lot of the people at these bigger brands are being informed by smaller brands because they're trying to find inspiration and creativity and, and things to drive their brand forward. And so they're, they're naturally going to see what Cole's doing and some of the smaller brands in the golf space are doing. God forbid they hire those people. <laughs> Don't ever. Uh, <laughs> and then what they're doing is they're saying, oh, okay, this is what people are into. The problem with 
a bigger brand is their is simply that their ability to turn stuff out fast enough. Cole can have an idea, put it down, get it turned in relatively quickly. That's the benefit of a smaller brand. And a brand like Cole is like, just do what you want and nobody can tell you no. And I mean, I've dealt with it and Cole has as well. The other side of that, where it's like, this is sick and you can't get the six stakeholders to agree on it. So it never sees the light of day. And that's, I think that's what is, if I'm a designer at a big brand, and a lot of them, let's be honest, don't even golf. So they don't really know golf. So they're trying to get information from people like Cole and myself and you and other people that golf, like what is cool and what is, what should we be doing? And then you have the very few that really understand golf. And I think those are the ones that, that are going to not necessarily take what's happening and try and repackage it. They're going to be inspired by it. Uh, but those are few and far between. Like I, I see bigger brands being informed by smaller brands in golf more and more as this sort of like wave continues, which I think the last four or five years, especially the last two, three, it's just been like, you're seeing small brands pop up right and left and you're seeing the cream kind of rise. And that's why Metalwood is doing so well, in my opinion, is because it's so focused on on a specific thing, a specific niche in golf that like Cole's ability to tell this story over and over again is, is great. Like I have 400 metalwood stickers on my laptop. You know what I mean? And they're all like, they're And everyone's like, what's, what is that? I was like, same brand as that one. Same brand as that. I was like, why is Jim Nance's head on your laptop? I'm like, why would it not? Be? <laughs> you know, from my own perspective with BCS is, we've had people come to us and like want to partner and do things. And we just said, no, because I know that's essentially just them trying to uh, take what we have from a, a following perspective and a, you know, I don't even know perspective and co-opt it. And I think that's why it's so cool to see these smaller brands kind of stand up and like make stuff for golfers. Cause too much we hear about how golf is boring and old and all these big brands need to change golf. No, we don't. Like, no, we don't. Like golf, like Cole has made the worst era of golf fashion fashionable. I mean, like the like late 90s and the early 2000s was a, a like abysmal era. And somehow people are wearing pleats again. Thanks to <laughs> thanks to well, maybe not thanks to Cole, but because of Cole people are rocking pleats again on the golf course. How, how brown can I make my wardrobe? <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, I find that really interesting. I was, I was reading an article the other day on a design site. I forget the name, but uh, the writer was talking about this idea of just trends as a whole. And uh, it was written specifically around, you know, what trends in design are emerging next year. And basically he was just breaking down as with all categories beyond just design is that, Someone does a thing, that thing becomes popular, it gains traction and relevancy. More and more brands and people catch on to that thing and then it grows and grows and grows and then bigger, bigger, bigger brands catch on and then something reaches this notion of critical mass, right? And then from there, you know, someone has to, you know, step up and, and reject said mast and then people go in the opposite direction. Normally they are on opposite sides of the spectrum, but just, you know, this overall idea of, um, breaking convention. Like I find that really refreshing with what you're doing, Cole, for example, where, and when it comes down to equipment, for, for example, like I think gear will always be part of golf and don't get me wrong. I love gear, but for years there's been a lot of this notion in the industry where every year, you know, you have to get new clubs. It's new year, new driver, new year, new iron, new year, new putter. And that's kind of been like drilled into the head of a lot of golfers. But what I find really refreshing with what you're doing, Cole, is that, you know, you're really champion, championing this idea of, you know, you don't need to get a, a new club or a new set of clubs every year. Like you can go to, you know, a, a local store and, and buy a used set of irons and build a bag for a couple hundred bucks and still have fun. Because I think a lot of people forget that, you know, a driver from the 90s, there was a time where that was the hot thing. And obviously technology and advancements and all that stuff has to be considered, but it's not to say that those pieces don't work. I mean, Fred Couples the other day was at uh, Goat Hill Park striping shots with a persimmon, 
which I believe was one of the clubs that he won the Masters with. So it just goes to show you that this idea of, you know, new, 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 bye, bye, bye. Um, if that's what you want, cool, but then there has to be another way. And I think you're you're starting to tap into that, Cole. It's like, I, I think our, we're all pretty similar in age. I think Cole's fairly younger than we are, but we grew up in such a unique consumer for like the a pretty aggressive consumer culture and the golf industry as a whole is no different i mean you like you to your point it's get the newest get the best get the newest get the best and it's really repurposed technology half the time and half the product but people still buy it and they these companies have to keep making it and i get that but these trends that come up it's almost like you're you're fatigued at the end of it you're fatigued at the end of camo polos or joggers or white belts is a great example in the golf world like that was the thing and then at the end everyone's so tired of seeing it that they were like anything i'll take anything else and now we're in this like weird position where we have access to anyone we want not just the big publications and media outlets telling us what's available as golfers now we have access to anybody to say hey, I make this thing and I think it's cool and maybe you'll think it's cool as well. And then it grows and people are like, that to me is the best part of what's going on right now. I don't think consumerism has changed at all. I just think our our opportunity, opportunity to broaden that net a little bit and like find things that are like way, but like I, when I first started seeing like, the metalwood stuff i was just like this is this is great like this is ridiculous and it's so good because golf is one of those things like you think you've seen everything about golf and everybody's done it right like that's it and then comes along cole doing what cole's doing and you're like oh okay all right so what's going to be the next thing and there's always a next thing and the more and more we get connected with one another and we get inspired like cole's inspiring somebody to do something right now like somebody's going to drop their line next year and be like, look what I'm doing. And everybody's like, oh, that's sick. You know, and that that to me is the coolest part of, of what's going on. Like, you know, maybe some of the bigger brands are doing that for people, but I really think it's like what individuals and smaller brands are doing in the golf space that's really informing things. And that's why you have all this money coming into the golf game. Like, sure, Tiger's back and there's a resurgence and views and all these things and blah, blah, blah. But it's it's really people are starting to try and adapt to the culture of golf. You know, you have golf being written about in hype beast or high snobiety or whatever. And you're like, that's weird. That's strange, but that's where we are. Uh, you've got people rocking crazy shoes on a golf course that five years ago, no one would have ever thought about being a thing. And so to me, I think Cole better never sell out. No, it's not happening. Because <laughs> he's the last bastion. Money? Hate that stuff. <laughs> it's just Venmo Cole, $20 right now, so he doesn't have to sell out. <laughs> in, in your own respective circles, and obviously we all live in different cities. For me, I play a lot of golf in Brooklyn on public courses. Um, are you guys seeing more of this progressive audience, you know, starting to pop up in the places that you play? I know, Christian, for example, you're on the road a lot. So you've probably seen, you know, a lot of, of places more than, than the both of us. Like, what are you guys seeing out there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I get on the road quite a bit. Um, I've had 400 COVID tests in the last year. Um, aced them all. But <laughs> I, what, from my, what I see and, and a big project that I wanted to start working on this last year and a little bit did, and, and I'm going to do so more into next year is showing people how diverse golfers are. Cause I think there's this preconceived notion of what a golfer is to a non-golfer and that it's true. Like, yes, there are fat, rich, old white men that play golf, like, and there are a lot of them and they make a lot of the decisions within the golf world. But I've been to courses that are literally run by a grandmother and a grandfather in the, their alfalfa field to a car mechanic who goes and mows greens on his break in Alabama to, you know, private billionaire golf courses. Like I've seen it all. And the the wide diversity of golf to me is is only growing. And it's it's growing because you're starting to see 
higher higher profile people from whether it's basketball, football, baseball, musicians, you're seeing other people actually kind of like promote that they golf. I mean, Costa now is like promoting the fact that he's a golfer and those kinds of things do a lot. Like a guy I went to high school with, like saw that I was, saw some article and he's like, wait, you're a golf photographer. He's like, you golf now. And he and I used to skateboard and get in trouble snowboarding and all that stuff. And he's like, that's sick. I golf too. And it was like, it was one of those things like we were not going to tell anybody, but like we're golfers, you know, and now it's almost like it's okay to be a golfer, which is kind of funny, but I'll go to places like I'll go to little courses and little public tracks. And you obviously don't see that private courses. They're, they're still pretty, the gatekeeping is still mighty there, but public courses to me are like, and, and I'm talking like places like Pinehurst do a great job of this with having just a putting course anybody can go to or a par three course. like. Those are the courses where you're seeing just factories of people and like all different walks of life, all different incomes. It, that to me is the coolest thing because golf is, think about it, golf's like the only sport you can actually play with anyone and any skill level until you pretty much can't walk. Like I can't go play basketball with you three. Like the, the skill levels and it's going to be way off. Like we're not going to go play football together. You know, we're not going to go play baseball. Like you have to be at a certain level, but the three of us can go play golf and, you know, Ben Hogan's ghost can show up and we can still all play. And that to me, I think is the interesting thing about golf and, and why you're seeing more and more people kind of gravitate towards it is the stigma of inaccessibility kind of gets blown up a little bit. Like I've taken trips with my wife and my son and I'll go play their tee box and just, I'm just going to hit irons and, and, or if I really want to challenge myself, I'll play back, but I can still walk with him in the fairways. I can still enjoy that time. We can talk about the round. We can talk about what happened. My son and I have spent more time on a golf course just talking about school, life, how he's feeling, what's going on, than we have golf shots. And that to me is like the, the thing that I think if I'm promoting the game of golf, it's not, it's not to be in this cool club or play these cool courses. It's like that interaction you have with people. You're forced to have interaction with people for four hours. Or if you go to Muni, six hours. And like you, if you're if you're not a psychopath, you want to make the best of it. So Yeah, for sure, man. It's it's the moments between the shots because like the time that it actually takes to, you know, hit a golf ball and then walk to the next shot. It's not that long, but then just walking to that next walking to your ball. There's so much time there, even if you're playing by yourself, just to think about life and clear your head or if you're playing with a friend um catching up talking about life all that fun stuff like that's the part of the game that i think a lot of people forget that's really important and, and has a lot of quality and brings a lot of value to your overall life like because the shots are the shots but then that that time in between and and what you do at that time is also so valuable cole how long is your uh, pre-shot routine what pre-shot routine hideki's <laughs> like three and a half seconds uh, I'm about half a second. <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about this notion of exposure, specifically with your work, Christian. So um, I saw some work that you shot for um, a program or company called Evan Scholars, um, which I had no idea that existed. And I thought it was some really cool work that they did. Um, and one day I was actually at a course playing randomly by myself. I just kind of walked on and I ended up getting paired with one. And he was just some like random kid uh, really smart. Um, he was like an engineer for, for Shell or something. And he was actually a really good golfer. And I thought that was actually really cool because knowing that organizations like that exist where, you know, Hey, they give kids scholarships to school, um, in exchange for, you know, time to be a caddy and actually like learn about the game. Like to me, that's a really fair trade. And just giving those types of organizations a platform and a, and a, and a place to get some more exposure, which I think is really, really cool. Like when I having that ability to shoot that kind of stuff and, and put that stuff out there is the intent isn't really to market the Evan Scholar. I mean, part of it is, but the intent is to like make people aware that either you, your, your kid, your cousin, your the kid down the street, they, you, like they can sign up for this. And like half those kids don't golf, but they learn how to caddy. They learn how to carry themselves. They get an education and they get a better shot at life. And 
I mean, like I've played golf with former Evans scholarships that are like taking private jets to golf courses to play golf and then going home that same day. And they like, like they have become successful and they, those guys will be the first ones to say like Evans scholars put me in this position. And Evans isn't the only one. There's, there's tons of different charities and charitable organizations within golf that are designed to help people. And, you know, some are local, some are national, some are global. And that to me is another aspect of golf that I think you just, you just don't see that you, you don't like when people tell me that golf is so, you know, exclusionary and it's so like buttoned up, I'm like, okay, yeah. So these guys play at a private club that they own, right? You can't go play there unless you're invited. Okay. Yeah. That kind of sucks. And everybody would love to play Pine Valley. They probably wouldn't, they would hate it. It would be like the worst day of their life and they would just get ejected all day and like quit golf. So it's probably good that you don't play it. But those guys also are doing a lot for the golf community as a whole. So like, I, and I went through a period of this, you know, where I'm like, oh, just burn down all private golf and it's bad and blah, 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 blah. And I think to a degree, like there's some levels of it and there's some things that aren't great and should be reformed, but it's just never going to happen. But I think if you take a critical eye to it and you look at what's happening in the game of golf and the amount of money that's in the sport and the amount of good that's coming out of it, it's like, it's awesome to see people who had nothing make something themselves and then pay that back. And it's really cool to see people who were born into wealth and put that money into an organization like the Evans and go pay, you know, however much money to play at Pro-Am with however many pro golfers. And like that money's going to go give a kid a scholarship for a year. Like that's incredible to me that like, so I'm not going to, I'm in, I'm in no more in a position to shit on the rich guys who are like, actually like kind of doing good things yeah i'm sure they do crappy stuff but so do i and i'm poor so i mean <laughs> and totally but like help helping in their own way and, and everyone has a part to play i i just people would get off this whole golf is like exclusionary and like it's not it, that again i've played golf in an alfalfa field for three dollars like yeah, the golf is there if you want it now if you aspire to play pine valley then you have to like create your way to be on Pine Valley. You have to like manufacture and work for life to get you there. That there, nobody's just going to say like, "Oh, yeah, everybody should be able to play Pine Valley." There's a reason why it's private. Now, should we burn down all the gates and do all that stuff? And would that be kind of cool? Yeah, it, I kind of would like that, but it's not realistic. So, and honestly, like, no shit playing golf in an alfalfa field with like a dude who's a 40 handicap with a top-down golf cart and it's nine holes by the way and like the longest hole is 180 yards and he's driving a golf cart that was one of the coolest experiences of last year and talking to that family who like goes out there and puts their effort into it like that to me is more golf than playing marion you know like that is what i find fascinating about golf I think um, LA City Golf is has always been super blue collar. A lot of people playing it uh, after work. Um, very like cubicle to clubhouse looking people, right? Um, but I definitely feel the the shift happening. I, I see a lot of t shirts on the golf course now, which is cool. I think that there's that's. I mean that's just like indicative of who's playing the game right now. And I think that that's sure. great. Um, I don't, I don't need to see like the most skeleton version of golf where it's like burn it down, like restart it, like start it over. But I do think that um, that's like a, a good step forward is like, yes, there's places that you have to have a dress code and there's a reason for that. And then there's other places that you can wear a t-shirt. So a lot of the public golf that I play in Los Angeles, I don't think the people have changed, but like the, the demeanor has definitely changed. And then um, there's, there's certain hotspots of like new golfers and like in 2020 and this year included, it was like, I've played, I've played golf with more first time golfers than I ever have in my entire life. And I think that the, 
I mean, slow play bothers everybody. And I think that if the person can't help it, like it's fine. Um, but at least you're like holding their hand through their first golf experiences and showing them like, right. You made an eight, like, let's just move on to the next hole. Like you, you've like, yeah, you got your money's worth on this hole. Let's go to the next one. So, um, but no, like having that opportunity to be maybe the first brand, uh, that they associate with in golf, or maybe the first person that they went golfing with, or maybe the first experience, like the first birdie, the first par, the whatever. Um, I think that's happening a lot here. Places like nine hole executive, executive courses like Penmar or um, Roosevelt, uh, really just easy barrier to en- like low barrier entry places to play golf at. And um, I think that's where I'm seeing the most change. I think uh, the the way that uh, the leases work here on golf courses. It's like there's a bar and a grill on a separate lease and then there's a golf course on a separate lease. And so every two or three years, the lease is up on the bar and grill. And at Penmar, they never used this amazing bar and grill to attract people to you know use the golf course. But now it's under new management. They do live music Wednesdays. They have a margarita bar. They have amazing food and people will go to the course to eat. And like they don't even play golf. And I think there's certain, yeah, just to be there because it's cool. Um, and I think just that being more acceptable yeah. is uh, the gateway drug to, to golf, really. And, I, and I, again, I think that there's more people playing golf for the first time because of that shift uh, right. than ever before, which is great. So, guys, that was a lot of fun. We have been talking for a very long time. Uh, the editor is going to have some fun chopping this one down. I'm sorry in advance. But uh, yeah, it was nice talking to you guys and um, hope to see you on a course somewhere soon. Thank you so much for having me, uh, Christian. Always a pleasure. I'll see you guys soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fair Game Podcast with champion golfer Adam Scott. Don't forget to hit subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or whatever service you may be using. We're also on Instagram and Twitter at Fair Game Golf, where you can follow us there too. We'll see you next time.